0: Thank you, Lake Hills Church. How are we doing this morning? I tell you what, first I just got to say, I, you've got the best pastor. I'm going to tell you something you already know. You have the best pastor, not in Central Texas, not in Austin, not in Texas alone, but in the country. I want you to give him a big hand. Pastor Mac and his family were one of the first groups of people to really befriend me when I returned to Austin in 2014. I was here for undergrad at the University of Texas from 97 to 01. So I was here when Texas and, well, when Austin was still weird. And I get back and all these Californians are here and things have changed. But Pastor Mac was so kind to to my family. We have five kids. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. Uh, Uh, None of them are here. (laughs) My wife and I, this is my first time in Austin the past three weeks. I went from Israel to Mount Pleasant to Wisconsin. We got in late last night, and so we've got some sick kids, and my wife and my my kids would love to be here, but um, unfortunately, they couldn't make it. But they're all under six, so here's one thing you know about my... Yes, yes. Let's go ahead and pass around a collection plate. Anyone got a... We'll get some of those buckets out. Um, You know, if you walk into my house at any time of the day or night, there's an 89% chance that someone is crying. This is from the two-month-old to the six-year-old. Someone has a grievance in our family at all times. But I must tell you, I'm blessed. Is anyone else blessed here? Anyone else blessed? Got an incredible wife. I've got five healthy children and then I get a chance to share with you today. I know you've been exploring this tipping point, this theme tipping point. How many of you have read Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point? Raise your hand. Do whatever you have to do. Take a note, text it to yourself, buy the book. It's probably the book that I have gifted the most to people in my entire life. It really changed the way that I view the world. So I'm excited to share with you on this theme of tipping point and we're gonna look at a tipping point in the life of a Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a story that I know that, as I'm beginning to say it, you think you know well, but I wanna kind of give us another look at this woman at the well and how a conversation with Jesus changed her life, put her on a different trajectory. Now, I am the son of a Baptist minister, I am the grandson, the great-grandson of a Baptist minister. They come out of an East Texas, East Texas black Baptist tradition, okay? So this is not going to be a monologue, all right? So if, you, if I say something that moves you or you agree with, you're going to say what? Amen. amen. That's okay, right? It's okay? Is that all right? There are no rules against that here in Lake Hills. It's okay for you to say amen. You can be like my grandmother. She said, mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all try that. Mm-hmm. Grandma used to sit on the front row and say, mm. I said, what is this woman mm-hmm, about? But now the older I get, I understand what, what she meant. Let's go to the fourth chapter of John. Fourth chapter of John. Fourth chapter of John. I would say turn the pages in your Bible, but I'm sure you're going to scroll or open it up however you, you can. Fourth chapter of John. I'm going to start with verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I want you to stick a pen in that, verse 6. Just remember that it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 12 disciples had to go into the town to buy food. you know, it's a great joke about how many men does it take to buy lunch at a a grocery store. Uh, My wife sends me to the grocery store with a list of about 20 items. I come back with 35. They're in in town buying food. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as it also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But Verse 14. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Somebody else say amen. Amen. Eternal life. Now listen here. We've, We've got history's most notorious rule breaker, Jesus of Nazareth. It is noon. A Samaritan woman ventures to a well to draw water. Let me tell you why this was uncustomary. To draw water at that time, one would do it, normally at one of two points in the day. Can you guess what they were? Early in the morning or just before the sunset. This woman chose the hottest part of the day to go out and draw water from Jacob's well. She goes to draw water and she takes her water jar, and I'm from East Texas, I'm just going to call it a bucket. And so the subject for today is going to be, what's in your bucket? She brings this bucket to draw water, and she has an encounter with a man at the well. And they strike up a conversation. This is what you should know about why this conversation should never have happened. Number one, a man could not have a conversation with a woman unless her husband was present. If she had no husband, that conversation was not to take place. Number two, and the Samaritan woman knows this well, she cites this fact. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. There was drama, there was beef, all right? There was a lot of hate on each side. And it all stemmed back to history. Jews believed that the holiest of holies was on Mount Zion, Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim, that was the holiest of holies. And so there was this conflict that would divide them. Anyway, we've got this Samaritan and this Jew sitting down having a conversation. The first point I want you to think about is this. You're going to write this down. I'm going to make you work here at 11 o'clock service. You're going to write this down. You're going to text it to yourself. You're going to write it in chalk or pen or whatever you have. Don't be hindered by history, number one. Don't be hindered by history. This woman out of the gate, she said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. hold on. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you be asking me for a drink? So already those conversations that happened in her home where mom and dad say, hey, this is why we don't associate with Jews, This comes to play now at the well. I wonder how many of us have a history that we are constantly reliving, that we are constantly bringing up into the present tense that is keeping us from our destination, amen? Amen. So many histories and missed opportunities and what should have happened and what could have happened and what grandma told me not to do, and what Paul told me who not to talk to. All of these histories now get into the present tense, and you have beef with somebody today based on some history that you can't even remember. Amen. There are some broken relationships right now that you need to repair because of bad history. So this Samaritan woman immediately starts going into, hey, listen, Jacob gave this well to Joseph. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. She keeps trying to throw up roadblocks and say, hey, listen, what's going on right now should not happen. But Jesus keeps sidestepping her. Second point, don't be constrained by your circumstance. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I was a third-year law student at Harvard. On a whim, I worked a football camp with a good buddy of mine, my best friend in life. He said, hey, let's go to a football camp in South Carolina. So we go, and I get there, and one of the volunteer coaches didn't show up. So I was sitting in the back of the room and kind of fiddling on my Blackberry. It was uh, was 2006, so I had a Blackberry at the time. I'm just sitting there scrolling, and this coach says, hey, we need somebody to volunteer. Coach so-and-so didn't show up. Is there anyone who would like to fill in for him? So I'm thinking to myself, I was a five nine and a half, 165 165-pound, strong safety back at Mount Pleasant High School. I was first team all district. I said, Sure, I can do it. I, said, yeah. I raised my hand. He said, All right, coach, where are you from? I said, um, Mount Pleasant High School. Mount Pleasant High School. You've got group six. Yes, sir. I had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> group six consisted of about 60 sixth graders. <laughs> all right? At least let me tell you, none of whom had any athletic talent whatsoever <laughs> on God's green earth. And this is what I saw when I met group six. I saw kids who had, they had more swooshes and Under Armour. They were protecting the house and they were doing it. And <laughs> it's like their moms had taken them to academy and just opened up the checkbook and said, whatever you want, kids. So we had, we had ankle bands, we had wrist bands, we had headbands. We had absolutely no athletic talent whatsoever. I think I mentioned that. And all of these kids had receipts for the camp. So this is one thing I'm going to tell you parents out there. If you pay for your child to attend a college camp, there is a 95.6% chance that your child is not being recruited. Okay? Some of you will get that later on when you drive home. Just remember this now. I spent five years in the NFL and two in college. If you have a receipt for a camp, there's a good chance that little little Jimmy and and little Jessica are not being recruited. Somehow the good players find a way to not have to pay for the camp. They kind of go in the back door. All of my kids had receipts, okay? They were all paying customers. I spent 48 hours with these kids, so a part of my job was to make sure they went to bed on time. And I remember over here in a conversation, and there is a black kid and a white kid in the room, and it's your typical South Side of Chicago versus Highland Park. And and here's the thing now. I'm listening to them talk, and they're talking about how many touchdowns they're going to score that season and girlfriends and video games, and I thought, you know, this thing football brings people together. And we've got a lot of differences, right? We've got a lot of histories and a lot of circumstances that we want to separate us. But for brief moments you know, on a football team, all of that goes out the window and people become friends. So I decided I was going to be a football coach. So I called my mama, Gwen Roberts. You don't know Gwen Roberts. She's not the woman to play with. I said, Mom, I want to be a football coach. Oh, honey, you know, you know moms are, oh, that's great, honey. Oh, that's great. Well, your law firm let you do that, kind of fulfill your pro bono hours, is that the way it works, So is it like a pro bono project? I said, no mom, I don't think you get it. Um, like I wanna do this full time. She said, oh my word. <laughs> Let me put your dad on the phone. <laughs> you don't know the Reverend Kurt Roberts. 38 years as the minister of Mount Olive Baptist Church. Um, not, not the guy you wanna mess around with. And he says, hey, Darren, well, what is this I hear about you want to be a football coach? I said, well, Dad, I went to this camp. And he said, yeah, whatever. Listen, um, do you remember our deal? Here was our deal. They would pay for undergrad, but I had to pay for grad school and law school. Now, before I went to Harvard Law, I spent two years at the Kennedy School of Government, $50,000 a year. Harvard Law School at the time was fifty dollars year. So you mathematicians in here can work the math, all right? Five times 50K is about a quarter of a million dollars pre-interest in my name. I said, Dad, listen, Bank of America does a great job of reminding me (laughs) every single day that as soon as Dean Elena Kagan hands that diploma to me, I have six months of freedom on this earth, and then they're going to chase me down for that money. I said, Dad, I I feel like the Lord's moving me in this direction. He said, well, son, we need to pray. I said, well, let's pray. So we pray, and then he hung up the phone. On, on, uh, he still hasn't apologized for that. But um, I sent a letter to every team in the NFL. How many are there? 32. There we go. We're moving to training camp season right now. And I just asked to be a training camp intern. I got 31 rejections. Bill Belichick, no. John Fox, no. Wade Phillips, no. Herm Edwards, Kansas City Chiefs, yes. So he calls me up, and he says, listen, Darren, What's wrong with you? (laughs) I said, well coach, nothing that's been documented. I can tell you that. He said, well listen, I don't know why you wanna do this, but here's the deal, take out a pen and paper. Here's what we're offering. No pay. Okay, okay, no pay. No benefits. No benefits. 18 hour days. I said, okay. Uh, he said, I need an answer right now. I said, sign me up. He said, all right, you're going to be the grunt. I'm like, what the heck is this? Is this like an official title? Like it's- <laughs> show up to training camp. So I was a grunt. I went and picked up barbecue sandwiches. If we cut a player, I boxed all of his belongings up, took it to UPS, sent it to his permanent address, took him to the airport. If we acquired a player in a trade, I picked him up from the airport, took him to the doctor for a physical, took him to the, the equipment room for all of his equipment for the upcoming season. I did this for an entire year. And I remember one moment at Harvard Law School, we're going around in my third-year class, and the professor says, let's go around and everyone tell your colleagues where you will be going after graduation. (laughs) Right off the bat, first girl says, I'm gonna be clerking for Justice Scalia. Oh, that's great. Thanks. So Before it got to me, we had people going to the White House, going to governor's offices. And he gets to me and I said, to him, I will be a training camp intern for the Kansas City Chiefs. The girl to the left of me turned and she said, What does that mean? <laughs> None of that computed. Like training camp intern, Kansas City Chiefs, that was all gibberish. I could have been speaking Hebrew. And I had so many people reminding me of why I couldn't become a coach, right? They were pointing back to my history, going back to this Samaritan woman, my history. I didn't play in college. I didn't play in the NFL. I didn't have anyone in my family whose last name was Belichick, right? And so all of these reasons people were giving to me to say, you know what? This isn't for you. They were also reminding me that I had dumped five years and $250,000 into Cambridge, Massachusetts to go and coach football. I believe that a lot of people right now in this sanctuary have been caught up with history, 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 history. You find ways to cite something from your past to keep you from your future. Amen? There's always something. Well, you didn't go to school to do this. Well, you didn't finish that book. Well, you should have taken that job. Well, you shouldn't have made that move, right? And you've got a lot of broken relationships and dreams because you've been caught up in your history. The good news, which this woman found out at the well, is that there is a man who can take that history and turn it into a beautiful future for you and your family, amen? They can take whatever happened in your past. You don't have to get right, you don't have to get perfect, you don't have to get situated. There is a man who can help you put that history where it should be in the past and to live out your future. Point number two is you need to stop being concerned with your circumstance, write that down. You're like my students. You know, I teach two classes at the University of Texas, the freshmen and and upperclassmen, and they come in and they just wanna lay back with their lattes, I say, listen, I'm putting you to work. Pick up a pen and paper, type it to yourself. You don't need to be concerned with your circumstance. Listen to what this woman tells Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but she says, hey, listen, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep. How many of you look around at your circumstance and say, OK, you know what? This is what I don't have. So I can't get to where I want to go because I don't have this. I need that. The timing isn't right. It's not the right situation. You find excuses in the present tense and circumstance to keep you from walking in the purpose that you're supposed to be walking in. This woman had the same syndrome. She's thinking, hey, listen, you don't have anything to draw water with. This well is deep. Jacob, through Joseph, gave it to us. You shouldn't even be here. You should be in Jerusalem. This is a sacred place for us. All of these circumstances and histories, and Jesus just keeps just keeps moving her away from that past and then keeps moving her away from those circumstances and now he's going to point her in the right direction. Point number three, you need to leave your bucket behind. You need to leave your bucket behind. You need to leave that bucket behind. She, verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Before that, Jesus tells her, he says, listen, you've had five husbands. Anybody had five husbands? Five wives? It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. This woman's been maligned for so many years, but I want to paint a different picture of this woman. You should know, at this time, a woman could not divorce her husband. So all of those husbands that were cited, and we don't know from the Scripture whether they died, maybe she was a widow, right, or whether there was a divorce, but we don't know why they left her life. What we do know is that she's with someone who's not her husband. And all of us want to be righteous and holy, but listen. I'm old enough to know that fornication is alive and well. Amen? So before we just judge her now, let's just just remember that there's probably some parts of her situation that we can identify with. I know I won't get a loud amen on that one. You may say amen on the way home or after lunch, but it's the truth. When she comes to the well in the middle of the day, and I'm gonna to submit to you that she probably went there in the middle of the day to avoid a lot of those people who do this, right? So if, if everyone's at Starbucks at around between seven and eight a.m., and then they get there at about five to six, she's gonna go in the middle of the day. She wants to bypass the line. She's like some of you with that Starbucks app. You got your favorite little latte saved. You order it up, you walk right into Starbucks, and get it and walk right back out. That's what she intended to do before she met this man named Jesus. He begins to tell her of her past, and she starts to get this feeling that, okay, you know what? This is not just a regular conversation. This guy's a little bit different. And Jesus says to her, And I'm going to go to verse 25. The woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Here's all that Jesus says. I, the one speaking to you, am he. At this point, the disciples come back from Trader Joe's. <laughs> they see this woman. They're wondering what's going on. They know the social mores of the time. They don't say anything. And the woman leaves. And what does she leave behind? Her bucket. Her bucket. So a woman who came to a well in the middle of the day, at the hottest point of the day, leaves a well with the very thing that she came to capture water. And she goes into the town around the very people she was trying to avoid in the first place. That's what an encounter with Jesus will do for you. It will make you leave behind the things that you don't need. Some of you have some buckets that you've been carrying around for decades. You've collected a lot of criticisms, advice, Oprah-isms, Instagram posts, what Uncle Ted told me I was supposed to do. You got all this stuff in that bucket. And here's what I'm going to tell you. That thing is weighing you down. Amen? Amen? That bucket is weighing you down because you went to go and get water, but what you filled that bucket with is something other than a substance that will give you sustenance. Some of us need to start unfollowing people in real life. Write that down. <laughs> Text that to yourself. Tweet it at yourself. We got all these folks, and this is one thing. Listen, I, uh, my wife's family, we all went to Wisconsin, Lake Michigan, and we did all sorts of water activities. I was worn out, okay? But we've got, we've got grandpas, and we have aunts and uncles, and I said to myself, Man, everyone is an expert on you. You ever notice that? (laughs) Think about Thanksgiving dinner. Every aunt you have, all your uncles, everyone knows what you should be doing. Now, let's leave to one side the fact that they haven't figured out their own lives. (laughs) But they know exactly what you should be doing and where you should be and how you should get there. And here's the problem. We're taking a lot of that misguided advice from people who don't have the answer, amen, and we're putting it in our bucket and it's weighing us down. We have to start unfollowing people in real life, and I know this is tough for for some of you. You know, we live by those followers on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and now we've got apps that can tell you exactly when someone defriends you. We've got to start unfollowing some of these people with advice because it's keeping us from having a conversation with the very one who can get our lives on track. Amen? She goes into town. And for those of you who are in marketing, this woman really, her marketing campaign is incredible. She does two things. She states a fact, and then she asks a question. She didn't run into town and say, hey, this Jesus guy at the well, Jacob's well. You know the well? Yeah, sure. He's the Messiah. Come see him. She says two things. She says, I just met a man who told me all about myself. Then she asks a question. Could this be the Messiah? I don't know. Could this be the Messiah? The next thing you know what happens? People leave the town and they go out to find more information on this man named Jesus. So we've got a woman who was afraid to congregate with people, who want a drink of water, who gets filled with Jesus, leaves her bucket because it was going to wear down. She could run faster in the town without the bucket. And what Jesus just gave her, the bucket couldn't hold anyway. Amen. So she gets to town and says, hey, Listen. In her mind, the very all of you who've been criticizing me and you've been in my business and you've been sending me all these direct messages on Instagram telling me what I should do, all of you who think you know who I am and what I should do, I just met a man who told me all about myself. And this man could be the Messiah. She converts Samaritans to Jesus. Samaritans who had no dealings with Jews. She brings them into the family of Jesus through her testimony. I wonder how many of you are waiting for the right moment to give your testimony. You know, here's what I found. I was on a plane. This guy and I, we struck up a conversation and he said, oh man, you've been really lucky. I said, no, I have to correct you. I've I've been very blessed. The Lord's really blessed me. He said, you don't mean that. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, I do mean it. He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Listen, if if you've been walking in my shoes, if you've been where I'm from, if you were waitlisted at Harvard four straight times, right? If you wrote 32 letters and only got one back, if you've gotten fired two, three times, moved four different cities, if you were sitting there at the birth of all five of your children who came into the world naturally and who all are healthy, if you've seen what I've seen." Nothing but Jesus explains where I am today. Amen? Amen. And here's the thing while you're clapping. I want you to convert some of those claps to conversations. Here's what happens. You're at work. Well, this isn't the right venue. You know, I can't really share my love for Jesus. I can't. But this is not the right place. Well, then you go and you... the the T-Ball League or the PTA. Well, you know, this is in the right place. I really, I can't share here. Well, the grocery store. And what happens is we don't share our testimony. You're looking for the right place and the right situation. There are some people who need you to testify about how good God has been in your life. There are some folks who want to hear you testify about the impact that God has had on your life. And if you keep waiting and prodding and fixing it and trying to get so right and get everything lined up, we're going to let some people go to hell because we weren't willing to share our faith. This faith is nothing unless it's shared with others. Amen? It is nothing unless we share it with others. And think about that woman. This is a scorned woman who, after a conversation with Jesus, says, you know what? I don't care who doesn't like me. I don't care who thinks that I'm the worst woman here in the the village. I'm going to go into town and I'm going to share the good news because this man, Jesus, has changed my life. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Don't keep your faith bottled up in that bucket. This life is only good if you can move from accumulation to sharing. We want to capture. We want more Teslas. We want more houses. We want more vacation homes. We want more income. Right? We want a better school for our kids. We want to get them into the right high school and college and all this good stuff. We're worried about capture, capture, capture. This world gets better if we're willing to release. Your community gets better if you're willing to release. Your family gets better if you're willing to release. Because all of these things you're accumulating are keeping you from sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. Amen? Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We lift you up and we magnify your name. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. Heavenly Father, we thank you in advance for what you will do. We understand, Heavenly Father, that we don't have the answers. We understand, Heavenly Father, like that Samaritan woman that there's a lot of history, there are a lot of circumstances that are keeping us from moving in purpose and in alignment with you. But Lord, like that conversation at the well, we know that a conversation with you an interaction and a relationship with you, Lord, can convert all of those bad memories, all of those broken pasts and histories, Lord, into a meaningful present and future. Lord, please give us the courage and the strength to put the Instagram away and the Snapchat and and the Oprah clubs and all of the different pieces of advice that we get, Lord, and to lean on you for advice, to lean on you for direction, to lean on you for purpose. Heavenly Father, we ask all of these things in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.